0: Italy must be one of the most multifaceted countries you could visit. It's the size of California, but every time you go to a different corner of Italy, you find different charms. Most of us travelers go to the predictable first destinations. I enjoy getting into a little backdoor experience in an underappreciated corner of Italy. And today I'm joined by Fred Plotkin, and we're going to talk about what he calls Italy's secret garden. This is a region of Italy north of Venice, right nestled in there between Slovenia and Austria, the far northeast corner of Italy, a region called Friuli Venezia Giulia. Fred Potkin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pronounce the region for me, please.
1: Friuli Venezia Giulia. The name comes from Julius's forum, Forum Iuli, Friuli, and because Julius Caesar was there.
0: So it goes back to Roman times. It's a rich culture because if you think of geology, you think of tectonic plates moving around on the globe. And I like to think of cultures as tectonic plates also. And this is where three massive tectonic cultural plates come together, Latin, Germanic, and Slavic. All at that
1: spot and all in the capital city of Trieste.
0: Amazing. Now, if you have a hard time remembering this word, Friuli Venezia Giulia, Just think the far northeast corner of Italy, and you can get there in an hour from Venice. And as a matter of fact, Slovenia is a whole other uh, discussion, but uh, there's a lot of connections with this region with Slovenia, and it makes a lot of sense to head north and then take a right turn and check out this region. Fred, when you talk about this region, you have so many ways to connect with the actual culture. One thing I, I love about your book, Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, of course, it's focus on food and cuisine and great restaurants, but this is your entree into understanding the culture. And you talk about how, for instance, in an Osteria, everybody's equal. Titles are cast aside, and that's different than what you might find further south in Italy.
1: There is a tradition in what I call FVG, FVG being Freely Venetia Giulia, that you have what's called a tajut, T-A-J-U-T. This means a small glass of wine. And when you enter an Osteria, also called a frasca, you talk to anyone who's next to you. The discussion could be on any topic, although we try to avoid politics. Typically, Italian men, when they get together, will talk about politics a little. They'll talk about soccer a little bit more. They'll talk about their cars. They'll talk about their girlfriends. But especially what they'll talk about is what they're going to eat. That's always the main topic, what they have eaten and what they're about to eat.
0: When you go to this part of Italy, you also have a tradition of gathering around the hearth. That would be another place, the Friulian hearth.
1: Well, it's called the fogolar, which comes from the Latin word focular, or focus. It's an area of Italy that can be cold in the winter months, and it's an area that has a lot of lumber, and therefore the people would build these hearths in their homes, and historically they would cook food in the fogolar. And it would be in a room where there would be benches around the side, and you would sit there and eat, facing one another, not at a traditional table, and maintain conversations and sing and tell jokes. And the family would gather around the fire, and there would usually be a pot of polenta hanging there, polenta being the source, the underpinning, the girder of all food in Freely, Venezia, Giulia.
0: Now, in your book, you have a phrase that I I really enjoyed learning about, and let me try to pronounce it, then you can give us an insight on how this relates to this particular corner of Italy. El vin bon, lomo bravo, e la donna bella dura poco. (laughs) Hey, 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 say that in Italian for me correctly, (laughs) would you?
1: El vin bon, e lomo bravo, la donna bella dura poco. In other words, good wine, a good man, and a beautiful woman don't last long. You can make of that what you wish. But I think the part of the feeling in that, it's meant to be cheeky and jokey, but also the fact that the wine in this region is so fantastic. Uh, They make Italy's best white wines without a doubt and among the best red wines. It's so good that good wine doesn't last long in that region. hmm. A good man is hard to find, and a beautiful woman
0: also hard to keep. Hard to keep, all right. When we think about Italy, and you're famously a tallophile, you like all corners of Italy, seems like 90% of the tourists are gathered in 10% of, of Italy and they sort of neglect everything else specifically why is it good to go to a place that just doesn't have the tourist crowds
1: for many reasons because people i meet and i know you meet as well typically want to go back to that stretch of Tuscany Florence Siena Cinque Terre Rome Amalfi coast and Venice and that's it mm-hmm. And I plead with them to go to other places because otherwise they just wind up with other American and European tourists. They go to places that are used to receiving tourists and treat them in a certain way. If you go to Freely Venezia Giulia, they are so welcoming because they're so surprised to see you. And therefore, they have not changed their food traditions at all to adapt to touristic taste. They are very proud of what they have in a quiet way, and they maintain the quality because the quality is for them. Hmm. So, to give you a general rule, typically it's said that the three great food regions of Italy, of Italy's 20 regions, are Emilia-Romagna, Liguria, and Friuli-Venezia-Giulia. And the three great wine regions are Piemonte, Tuscany, and Friuli-Venezia-Giulia. So that means that it's the only region ranked in the top three in food and wine, Hmm. making it distinct also because the people who produce wine make their wines to go with the foods. The people who cook food and add certain spices and flavorings do it with the intention of pairing it with certain wines. So the level of knowledge about food and wine pairing in that region is higher than anywhere else I know in the world, including France. Now there's a word, abinamento. Abinamento. Abinamento means how things go together well. They form a relationship. So this region of Italy uses more spices in its food because the capital, Trieste, was always a major spice port. Liguri, the Italian Riviera, uses more herbs than any other region. When you have different spices, such as nutmeg, Hmm. they will say, well, what wine goes with nutmeg? They find the Cabernet Franc goes with nutmeg. And therefore, if you're making a dish that has a lot of nutmeg, they tend to serve Cabernet Franc. And it goes on and on like this for every spice and every wine. They have many local wines, such as Rafosco, Pignolo, Ribolla, Gialla, that you don't see elsewhere, that are lip-smacking good. They're huh. so suited to food, and that's one of the many reasons I tell people to go there, to learn how to pair food and wine.
0: Now, when you talk about Friuli, Venezia, Giulia being one of the top three regions for cuisine in Italy, and then you think about it's so rich because this is where those three principal cultures merge, the Germanic, Slavic, and Latin cultures, I don't think of Germanic and Slavic as being up to the level of the Latin culture when it comes to great cuisines, but you're saying the subtle combining of these three areas with the traditions and ingredients and so on, it's a plus for the cuisine?
1: It's a plus for the cuisine. There are so many misapprehensions. I wrote a book once called La Terra Fortunata, out of print, hard to find, but it's about this region and about how everything converged and the misapprehensions we have about it. So, for example, we tend to think of pork and sausages as being of the northern European world, Germany and Austria and Poland. Actually, they were created by the Romans. The Romans then found wonderful breeds of pigs in what used to be called Aquileia, their their mm. home in northern Italy, and they taught pork preservation with salt to the people of that area, who then transported it north to Germany and Austria. So the, the source material for making sausage and working with pork was Roman. Similarly, the use of herbs in cuisine actually came from the north, from Germany and from Austria, was brought down to Italy. And that happened all in Friuli Venezia Giulia. The Slovenians were very good at fruit growing. They're among the best fruit growers in the world. So fruit, as part of cuisine, and not just as something to eat at the end of a meal, Hmm. was brought by them to Friuli Venezia Giulia so that you have dumplings that are filled with apricots or figs or pears or plums or just heavenly, whatever is the seasonal fruit goes inside a dumpling the classic dish of Friuli Venezia Giulia. So
0: I love this sentence you have in your book. Much of what is unique about Italy is its pursuit of pleasure and the skill of Italians to do just this. And when you think about Friuli Venezia Giulia being a crossroads and you have that wonderful skill of pursuing pleasure, maybe it makes sense that you've got all of these influences coming across and the locals there who enjoy good eating and good living are going to get the most of it.
1: In effect, God put
0: it here for us to enjoy. That's the thinking, and why not? I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're enjoying what God gave us, and we're talking with Fred Potkin. Fred writes Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, and it's out in its fifth edition. It covers all of Italy, not just the touristy places, with a real astute insight into the culture and the uniquely Italian love of life. We have Alice on the phone from Carlsbad, California. Alice, thanks for your call. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you and Fred. I love the Friuli region, um... We love to go to Trieste, and we love Cividale, uh de Friuli and Udine, and uh, we like to go to Muggia too, which is right across the bay from Trieste, and uh, then we take the ferry over to Trieste and don't have to worry about our car. Now, Alice, connoisseurs of Italy and connoisseurs of Habsburg history love Trieste, or Trieste. Uh, why do you like it? Well, it's always sort of been like foreign intrigue, Trieste. I've always wanted to go there. And when we finally went there, it was, oh, it was quite interesting. I just love it. Well, a little background on that. You know, the Habsburg Empire was a huge empire with the capital in Vienna. As far as the Mediterranean is concerned, it had one little connection to the Mediterranean, and that was a little stretch of land there in Slovenia, and Trieste was the port, and then after they lost World War One, of course, they lost their port and uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire becomes little Austria, and uh, Trieste goes back to Italy.
1: Italy was separate from Trieste, and Trieste was part of Austria from 1361 to 1918. And it was the third most important city in the empire after Vienna, of course, and Prague. And then later Budapest came in. And remember the sound of music Captain von Trapp of the Austrian Navy? There's no waterfronts in Austria except the Danube, he was based in Trieste, and it's a city that was the most important port for commercial goods, for products, for coffee especially, in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It's a very sophisticated city that indeed does smack of foreign intrigue. And Muja, nearby is a wonderful fishing village just south of Trieste that's a little piece of heaven on the Adriatic.
0: Now, sticking with Trieste for a minute, you call it in your book more cosmopolitan than Rome or Milano. Even now, 90 years after it's uh, lost its importance as an Austrian port, does it keep that cosmopolitan feel?
1: It does. I was there in November of 2009, most recently, and the people love dialogues. They go to cafes. There's a lot of culture in the city in the streets. It's a city that has six religions coexisting, Catholicism, Protestantism, Islam, Judaism, Greek Orthodox, and Serbian Orthodox. And right around in that part of the world, people have fought about religion and differences for centuries, but in Trieste, they live and work together. It's kind
0: of like New York. So a city with a, a thriving cafe scene, a city priding itself in being a city of ideas. James Joyce chose to live there for 12 years. You wrote in your book, even wrote part of Ulysses there in Trieste
1: and Dubliners, and he wrote all of Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man in Trieste.
0: You know what's interesting for me as a travel writer? For me, there's no, like, obvious tourist site to write up like you'd have in Venice or Florence, but you have that rich, complex culture, and maybe that distinguishes uh, among travelers, those who don't need the leaning tower to get excited. They can go to Trieste and understand a little bit of the background that makes it such a rich place to explore and get to know its
1: atmosphere. There's something called the Borgo Teresiano, which is a neighborhood built by Maria Therese of Austria that is like Austria on the Adriatic. But then you go behind it, and it's more of Italian and Slovenian style of architecture. Trieste loves evoking the old, and they have a streetcar from the 1930s that winds its way up into the hills to the Slovenian border, and you can go through forests and stop at the edge there and eat wonderful pastries from Austria and Slovenia and dine in a vineyard and then take the streetcar back down to the Austrian district. That is three cultures in one half a day.
0: Beautiful. Alice, thanks for your call.
1: All right, thank you. And thank you, Fred, for your book. I love it.
0: Thank you. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Fred Plotkin. There are a million guidebooks to Italy, but I think there's one definitive guide for Italian food culture and it's Fred's book called Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. To learn more about Fred's work, you can go to his website at fredplotkin.com, F-R-E-D-P-L-O-T-K-I-N.com. Fred, I'm always interested in how a hard history makes for an interesting culture, and when you go to Friuli Venezia Giulia, you find it's had a very tough history. How has that impacted uh, what you see today?
1: Well, the fact that people have to hold fast to their identity and their culture when people are invading, whether it's Attila, Attila the Hun, whether it's the Romans, whether it's Napoleon who traipsed through there in about 1813, anyone who got there wanted to take the identity, the food, the wine, the products, the culture, the character of these people, and therefore they really decided to cling fast to it by preserving their culture, not so it's under amber, but so that it's a lively, ongoing culture. And the people, to me, are the best thing about the region of Freely, Venezia, Giulia because they fought hard to maintain it. In May of 1976, they had one of the worst earthquakes in modern times in Italy, and I was living nearby. I was 20 years old, and I went up to the region to do first aid, and I stayed a month. And I helped rebuild housing and and things like that. And what struck me constantly was how generous the people were with me, how grateful they were, and how they would want to be more hospitable, but they couldn't because they had no house. And in Friuli, there's something called mal di maton, brick sickness. It means the desire to build, the desire to create permanence and stability in a world that is always so threatening and unstable. So, once the homes went right back up, and they didn't wait for national teams to come in to help build, they built it themselves right away. They began to cook, they began to create again, Hmm. and they learned from the earthquake, as they learned from wars, what is the most essential aspect of ourselves? It's our culture, our language, our food, our sense that we may be mixed as races and religions, but we are united in our love of this land. And that is what makes this place unique in Italy, where Italians tend to be rather disputatious amongst one another from one town to the next. In Friuli, Venezia, Giulia, they're very united.
0: And one of the most thought provoking aspects of this underappreciated region of Italy is their hard fought past and how it lives on today. And I mean, one example of that is Il Vino della Pace.
1: Il Vino della Pace means simply the wine of peace. And only a people who have known war privation suffering and devastation the way people in that region have can have a appreciation for what peace really means the absence of strife the absence of suffering and they make wine every year by combining grapes from many vineyards to produce this wine of peace that they send to world leaders to the pope and they say to people if you could sit down over a glass of wine and talk you would not be so inclined to do battle with one another because when you meet another person at a glass of wine, it's a moment of reflection and of sharing. And it's a moment of sharing the fruits of the soil, which are garnered through lots of labor. And if we can put roots in the soil and get fruit from the soil rather than spill blood in the soil, that, for a Friulian, is the way to live. And that's what the vino
0: della pace is and I'll drink to that. We've been talking with Fred Plotkin, and Fred's new edition of Italy for the Gourmet Traveler is more than a food guide. It's a guide into the Italian culture via its wonderful cuisine. Fred Plotkin, fredplotkin.com. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Italy and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring
0: tours of Venice, Florence, and Rome, the heart of Italy, Village Italy, South Italy, and Sicily. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.